0: You're tuned into to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more Living with Jim Brogan starts now.
1: Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and, you know, we're going to talk about food today. Food is interesting. You know, food is very social. Uh, We certainly need food to fuel our bodies and be our energy, Um, but sometimes we have unhealthy relationships with food, and we know here in the United States... Uh, Obesity is as bad as it may be worse than just about any other developed country in the world. You know, nutrition should be straightforward. Eat when you're hungry, choose a variety of foods, everything in moderation. But, you know, life gets in the way. Making healthy food choices seems harder. And with inflation, it's really given kind of an emphasis on affording healthy kinds of food. You know, everything we want fast and cheap. Our guest today is Emily Holloway. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a doctoral student in the Department of Nutrition at the University of Tennessee. Emily works on maternal and child health and nutrition, as well as food and nutrition insecurity, management of chronic diseases through nutrition intervention, and eating disorder nutrition. So, this will be great. Uh, Good morning, Emily. Welcome to More Living.
2: Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's
1: great to have you. What got you interested in going down this path as a career with food and nutrition?
2: Well, I remember. So I did my undergrad at NC State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And the whole time I went into school thinking, I'm going to go into the health field. At the time, I thought it was nursing, thought about PA school. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I really do not like needles. I don't think I could be a nurse or a PA. (laughs) So I got to about my junior, senior year of college. And I was thinking, I'm like, well, what do I like? Well, I'd taken a nutrition class. um, I think it was my junior year. And towards my senior year, I took a maternal and child health nutrition course, and it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, hmm. I love this. I love talking about food. I love talking, you know, basically about the great aspects of food and then, you know, how to make our lives better with food. So that's kind of where my passion lies.
1: Yeah, it seemed like for so many people, a light bulb goes off at a particular time. I've also got in studio with me today, helping me host today, uh, my beautiful bride, Good morning, Dee. Good
3: morning.
1: Yes. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Um... Emily, according to the National Institute of Health, nearly one in three adults in the United States are overweight, and forty-two percent of adults have obesity. How did we get here? How did it get this bad?
2: You know, fast I, food, maybe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I mean, mentioned
1: the fast and convenient, you yeah. know, or fast and cheap. Yeah. It is. It, it seems like in other areas of the world, like even in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, people eat rich foods when I've gone. I mean, I haven't been in Europe in a long time, but it seems like people eat rich rich foods. They take more time when they sit down to eat, but I don't think they eat nearly the volume. Is, is it a volume mainly issue or is it a processed issue?
2: I think a lot of it's a volume and the, you know, the access that we have to unhealthy options, you know, it, There are two types of areas I like to talk about. We have food deserts for people that live in areas where maybe they don't have access to a lot of healthy options. So for them, choosing processed foods might be the only thing that they have access to. Or on the flip side, in your more more urban areas, you see food swamps. So you drive down the road and you see eight different fast food restaurants that you can choose from any of them. It's really hard, I think, for us to be conscious about picking those healthy options when we have access to so many unhealthy options to choose from
1: portion control is something that is a big you know i mentioned moderation in that opening yeah um we are a society i think of excess and value so what are the recommended portion when it comes to a healthy diet what what, when we look at what we as americans consume versus what we really should be doing in a healthy meal
2: you know a lot of that is going to depend on obviously your calorie needs. So it's going to vary for a man versus a woman and by weight, age, all of those things are going to play into your needs. So generally speaking, um, the, my plate guidelines are a great resource. They will break down your carbs, protein, and fat recommendations. It's usually a percentage. Um, again, that's going to depend on if you have a chronic disease, you know, you might have to shift those things. Um, speaking to a registered dietitian is great. It's really hard to give super specific nutrition
3: information to someone without kind of knowing what else is going on in the picture now when you talk about the my plate is that macros did I it is macros help our listeners understand about macros because that's a newer word yeah right in the last, I don't know, 10 years maybe, we've heard more about macro and
1: especially in the last three or four years, yeah. like yeah. five years. So
3: help us understand. Yeah, so um, your three main macronutrients are your carbs, protein,
2: and fat. So each are equally as important and play very different roles in the body. So we have carbohydrates, which, um, you know, as we know in social media and, in, you know, can sometimes get a bad rep. Um, but carbs are our preferred energy source. So our brain needs carbs to function. Um, without them... You might hear people get very anxious or irritable and that's usually probably because they don't have enough carbs. Protein is super important for metabolism, so making sure to eat enough protein, um, as well as it's important for muscle development, maintaining muscle, building muscle, um, and then fat is one of those nutrients that helps to insulate our organs, keep everything nice and safe. So as I said, both, um, all three are very important. Um, there are different percentages. I could give a ballpark. I want to say carbs is 45 to 65% of your total calories should come from carbohydrates.
3: Um, when we talk about carbs...
2: Yeah, though, see, that oh,
1: seems hard to me. Yeah. Well, that because, seems high from what because, we've seen in the,
3: right because everything for also for the last 10 years or plus has been keto yeah. and low carb yeah
1: and yeah so how do we free. we got keto We're so we've confused. got intermittent fasting yeah. is becoming more yeah. and more popular and i've heard really good medical benefits of intermittent fasting then there's low fat there's low carb there's mediterranean yeah. how do we sort through all this
2: So I think when we break down each nutrient, so let's start with carbs because I know that's one that, you know, you say 45 to 65 percent of my diet should come from
3: carbs. That seems so high, but. And it's the scary word. It is. Because of what we've, you know, we grew up learning the food pyramid in school. Mm -hmm. And so it's become the scary word. Yeah when we think about these nutrients, think about the foods that fit into
2: carbs. I feel like for a lot of people, when you say carbs, the first thing people think of is bread, pasta, rice. Mm-hmm. Well, in yeah. reality, those are also includes our fruits and vegetables are considered yeah. carbs. Um, choosing healthier of those carbs options, like choosing uh, pasta that's whole grain that has more fiber um, is going to be a healthier option. So um, when we break that 45 to 65% down, half of those carbs should try to be whole grain carb sources. So that leaves you about half for some of those other options. Fruits and vegetables, you know, that I can't stress the importance of those enough. Um, They have so many besides the macronutrients. You know, we get into micronutrients, the other benefits that come within those fruits and vegetables. So that's why the number seems, I think, a little bit higher for people when you think 45 to 65 percent of your diet coming from carbs.
1: Well, and I think one of the reasons we think that is we know or at least we have a pretty good understanding that blood sugar response. Yeah is really almost it's not everything but it's pretty close yeah. right with and so if we flood our body with high glycemic foods and so when we hear carbs that's what we think about
3: yeah, yeah but she made the best point in that i mean i don't think fruits anybody's ever gotten overweight gained weight from fruits and vegetables right
1: yeah i had a i, mean, I was i was meeting with a dietitian mm-hmm. a few uh, maybe 6 months ago and she had mentioned, you know, be careful with bananas because I guess, you know, they're higher glycemic response mm-hmm. than other fruits. And I just kind of said, well, I don't, nobody's ever gotten obese from eating bananas. It's the other stuff yeah. they eat in addition to the bananas. Is that a fair thing to say?
3: I would say, I mean, obviously.
2: I
1: mean, people aren't going to eat up, get up, eat bananas. I'm not going to eat 10 a bananas
3: a day. Yeah. But I guess the it depends on what we're watching, right? So if we're watching blood sugar, that might not be a good thing for your blood sugar. So that's where there's exactly. confusion. Exactly. Because there are fruits and vegetables that might spike me, but there's also a benefit in that I'm getting water and I'm getting fiber and my gut's going to be happier Yeah, and my skin's going to glow. So that's where there's so much confusion with this whole, you know, nutrition. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's hard. And I mean, you- the other thing is it's so individualized.
3: So what works for one person
2: may not work for the next. Or you have to take into consideration, you know, do they have diabetes? Do we need to be more conscious of the types of carbs that they're getting? And for a patient with diabetes, that forty five to sixty five, we would not want them up near that sixty five percent range. We would definitely want them lower and choosing more of those low glycemic carbohydrate sources whenever possible.
1: We're visiting this morning with Emily Holloway. She's a nutritionist. She's also pursuing her doctorate over at the University Tennessee when we come back we're going to dive into things like what are the right types of fat to be eating what about these new diabetes drugs that are being used for weight loss these injections that are becoming the newest fad so stay with us as we're going to really dive into food and nutrition so you can live the best years of your life your way you're listening to more living here on news talk 98 7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Emily Holloway. She is a Nutritionist, and we're talking about the role of food in our health, and all the different things. We're gonna we're gonna get into some of the new uh, drugs that are out there. We're gonna talk about eating disorder and brain activity, and just get into all kinds of good things that we can learn from. Um, We're creatures of habit, Emily. We tend to eat the same things, right? I mean, we don't try a lot of new things. We're just it's just kind of way we're built. People say to eat the rainbow. Yep. Right. Um, this time of year, I mean a lot you know, fruits go in and fruits and vegetables go in and out of season. Yep. Should we be trying to eat get out of our comfort zone and eat fruits and vegetables when they're in season? Or what we see at the grocery store, I guess, you know, if they're out of season, they're coming from who knows where. Yeah. What, what is your thought on that?
2: Um, so there's main thing to think about when eating seasonally is that it's usually going to be more cost effective. So for me, from someone who likes to, um, you know, save money when I can and think about that, um, eating seasonally is super important. Um, you know, obviously the further that a food travels to get somewhere, you know, it's going to lose a little bit of that nutritional value, but I don't think that that's anything that people should be super concerned with. So if you like the fruit and vegetable, if you will eat it, I think getting it is important regardless of if it's in season or not
1: let's talk big picture okay how when we look at chronic illness and chronic disease how critical of a role is diet in all of that
2: oh it's so important i mean uh back in september the white house held a first um Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health, the first one in over 50 years, and that is one of their main five pillars, is to focus on nutrition-related chronic diseases, because we know that so much about what we put into our body will affect us down the road, so it's, I mean, probably as important as anything else.
1: How do we balance, I mentioned in the opening, Emily, about the social aspect of food. Uh, That's a huge thing for for Deedee and me. Yeah. Um, How do we balance that? Because it is a huge social thing
2: absolutely i mean part of the reason why we eat is because it's social we have family dinners we go out to eat with friends um i think it's important parties yeah i think it's important to think about balance so you know kind of sitting down and thinking about you know What are my options? You know, what restaurant am I going to? What are the healthier options? Now, do you have to choose the healthiest option every single time? Absolutely not. But kind of thinking about, well, what else have I had today? What about this week? How can I fit this in, um, you know, and still enjoy it? Because we don't want to take the enjoyment out of food because then it just becomes who wants to eat when you don't have any enjoyment from it. But
3: again, kind of what we've talked about is moderation, trying to find that good balance. Well, two words I hear there. I hear moderation and I hear planning yeah. right
1: and balance and, and
3: yeah. yes but we're the worst at planning huh. like we're just we just like to be spontaneous and we we like to work and we like to do other things yeah. and so it's it requires a it requires a different discipline for us to sit down and say okay what are we going to eat this week and how are we going to plan our menu and it, I can do it yeah and there are times I find joy in it but I'd rather do other things yeah. and so it's really hard to be that intentional and plan for whatever reason, I've, I've
2: struggled with that, too. And I think that, you know, what's kind of helped me, especially, you know, I recently been living on my own. Um, can I sitting down at the beginning of each week thinking about my week? You know, what days am I really busy? I know I have X, Y and Z going on on Thursday night. I am not going to want to cook. I am not going to want to even think about creating something healthy. So I just go ahead and block that day off as I know that that's going to be a day that I'm going to eat out or go out to eat. You know, maybe a Saturday I leave open to go do something with friends. And then kind of thinking about the rest of the weekend, like what makes sense on those days has really helped me.
1: Okay. Do you, uh, I mentioned 42% of U.S. adults are considered obese. Yep. That's just a n- remarkable number. Um, Do you consider obesity a chronic disease or a chronic illness?
2: Yes, I do.
1: So what's the implication of that? Um,
2: Yeah. Well, we know that, you know, obesity is associated with other chronic diseases. So cardiovascular disease risk, stroke, type 2 diabetes, some cancers. So, you know, it's important to think about how that impacts other disease states in our lives.
1: Is blood sugar response the number one thing we should be focusing on when we look at nutrition?
2: Um, I think that's situational depending on the person. So if, you know, you have a fairly healthy person who has no history of um, high blood sugar or their A1C, so it's a a measure that, you know, we look to see long-term blood glucose levels. Um, If they have a normal A1C, I wouldn't become too fixated on blood sugar response for someone who doesn't have a history or a family history of diabetes um, would be another thing. Um, You know, more so, again, that balance, trying to fit all food groups in in moderation.
1: Now, there's been a lot of news coverage, Emily, of the use of these diabetes drugs. They're injections, and they're being used for weight loss. And a couple of them have been approved by the FDA Mm -hmm. for specifically for weight loss. Now, insurance companies, as a rule, don't cover them but what are the pros and cons of using a drug for weight loss and then can you comment specifically on these this new class of of drugs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So this was actually a topic that, um, you know, I did my dietetic internship and one of my rotations was in a outpatient weight management center. So I worked with a lovely dietitian um, back in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who really, um, they prescribed these drugs regularly. It was a normal part of their everyday operations. Um, I think it's important when we think of really any medication, any diet, any injection or these new drugs that... They only work as well as the people work. So it's not a magic fix. They're not going to start taking these drugs, go on this diet and not have to think about other lifestyle factors and lifestyle changes. So, um, a- a popular one right now is the Wegovy injection and that's one that's I'm pretty sure has been recently approved by the FDA. Um and when I talked to my preceptor, the dietitian that I worked under, she said that they have seen wonderful results on Wegovy. They have seen patients that do really well with it. Um and then they've other seen other patients that don't. And usually the patients that don't have good weight loss results are the ones that aren't willing to add in physical activity each week, that aren't willing to make those food changes because while the drug does um how it works is it helps to reduce your appetite. Um, it mimics a hormone in our body, um, and so if even if your appetite's reduced, if you're still eating as much as you were, you're probably not going to see a lot of weight loss.
1: Is it ultimately calories in, calories out?
2: Absolutely. I think with any diet that we look at, it's a huge thing. It's are you in a calorie deficit? How you get there, we're hoping is safe and not too astronomically restrictive. Um but that's the major premise of weight loss, calories in, calories out.
1: Let's talk about food addiction. Okay. Seems like it could be can be one of the hardest addictions to break. I mean we need food to survive. Yeah. Um can you talk more about the prevalence of eating disorders? And what are some signs of an unhealthy relationship with food?
2: Yeah, um, you know, eating disorders is a really tricky topic and a sensitive topic to talk about a lot of times for people. Um, A lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing, you know, their relationship with food or don't want to talk about it, especially if they are struggling. Um, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and think about, you know, why What does your relationship with food look like? Are you restrictive um, because you are upset with yourself or you're having these thoughts or are you restrictive
3: um, for other reasons?
2: So when we look at eating disorders, um, you know, one of the things that when I've, you know, even friends and family thinking about, like, how do they talk about food? I feel like you can get a lot from someone with like, what are the ways that they talk about food? Are they, you know, going hours and days or extended periods of time without eating? Or will they not eat in a social situation for fear that they're being judged? You can pick up a lot on cues from, you know, the things people say and what they do.
1: There's been a lot of research fairly recently about brain pathways in in terms of our human behavior. How does that relate to food? I mean, when we develop bad habits... Are there pathways in the brain that can be retrained to create healthy habits and even get rid of the bad habits altogether?
3: And is that, ju- and let's go back this far, when you were talking about an eating disorder, like rewiring the fire, you know, mm-hmm. and changing those pathways because you're you're physiologically correct, changing the brain pathway um, and, and shifting something there um, as an eating disorder disorder uh, person but then what about folks that don't struggle with eating disorder that just have bad habits that yeah. need to change so like the difference like is yeah, one discipline is. and is one and, and do both need to be rewired is the pathway both changed for both kinds the non-struggler and the yeah, you know, yeah you know. the
1: difference between eating disorder versus versus
3: someone that is, does not, not have an eating disorder but, but is, is overweight overweight or, ha- or has bad lifestyle choices like yeah. the is it a discipline thing?
2: Yeah, you know, I super situational. But I guess my take on it would be, you know, people with eating disorder who have disordered eating um, is usually a little bit different than people who just make bad lifestyle choices. So that can go hand in hand though. You might have a person who has or who makes bad lifestyle choices who also engages in disordered eating behaviors. Um, So it can sometimes be hard to differentiate the two. Um, I'm not as familiar with the rewiring the brain concept and how we would go about doing that um, or what that really looks like. But I will say that, you know, the emotional aspect of eating, we talked about the social aspect that can be what's really tricky for people to move past is that sometimes they will tie eating to their emotions so in that case you know they may not even be hungry but they're still eating as an emotional response if that makes sense so for those people weight loss can be really challenging because of the emotional connection that they have with food
1: i will have to say when you eat emotionally which i have struggled with all my life um Every emotion, it's it is an excuse to eat. You know, if you if you had something really good happen, celebrate, hey, let's celebrate. celebrate. Exactly. If you had a really bad day, it's like I just want to eat. eat
3: my ice yeah, cream. Yeah, it's, like, it's a of comfort escape for us. into food.
1: Yeah, and there's always a reason. Um, I think you're right in that. From in in my life, planning is so important ahead of mm-hmm. time because you know we're so busy. And when I get home, if it's six thirty or seven o'clock and I'm hungry and we haven't planned what we're going to eat. Yeah. I'm probably not going to make a healthy choice when I'm hungry.
3: What are you going to do, Jim? Order pizza? (laughs)
1: Oh, let's not a hundred percent.
3: That's what we do, and so this
2: is something we're
1: going to have to work <laughs> on. My favorite. Yeah. Well,
2: I do <laughs> yeah. the same thing with going to the grocery store. If I'm hungry, I have to make a point to make sure that I eat before I go to the grocery That's store. A good habit. Or I'm walking through the grocery store and I'm like, oh, that looks really good," and I'm probably going to pick up a couple extra things that I didn't really need. Yes,
1: yeah, great word. Yes. We're visiting with Emily Holloway and talking about food and nutrition. When we come back, we're going to have more about changing our diet and how do we make healthier choices. I'm also going to have our dollars and cents segment. According to a recent survey, over two-thirds of non-retired investors say that they may continue working after they retire. What are the implications? Why are we seeing this shift? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. We're talking about food and the importance of good nutrition and all the different facets of that. Food is such a major part of our lives, not only for our needs, but for our social interaction and, you know, a lot of our own satisfaction. So uh, before we get back to our guest, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents
0: want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement for all the years of your retirement that's the primary goal of more living with jim brogan and our dollars and cents segment where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement and now here's jim with this week's dollars and cents tip
1: over two-thirds of non-retired investors say they may continue working after they retire this is according to uh, the eighth annual advisor authority survey from nationwide and the two of the major uh things that have impacted this shift is market ter- turmoil and the soaring cost of living so market anxiety and inflation um two-fifths Uh, But almost 45% say they'll have to work to supplement their retirement savings or income out of necessity. Now, then, in addition, 40% are saying they plan to move to a different city or region after retiring. And the most common reasons are a lower cost of living and lower tax environment. So we're seeing a lot of economic implications of a volatile, choppy market, inflation, and our tax environment and cost of living issues. Now, there are some other very advantageous benefits to working some after retirement, and that is staying physically and mentally active and preserving a sense of purpose. And that's also very important. So let's talk about both of those implications. Uh, In terms of the financial implications and the economic implications, Working some, at least for a little while in retirement, even part-time, can make an extraordinary impact on financial security. And, you know, we can model this very effectively. We have a lot of tools to be able to model what earning 50% pay for two or three years in the front end of retirement can oftentimes make all the difference in the world in terms of implementing a successful financial plan. So there's no question that it is something to consider. Uh, and, and then there's also, so from an economic perspective, now then from a sense of purpose, staying active, that's, I think, equally important. It's very important to have a sense of purpose. Uh, and those first couple of years when you retire is what I have found are so critical. It's important, especially if you're kind of burned out. You know, we can kind of get to a mode where it's like, Oh, I just, I feel like I'll be on vacation the rest of my life. And those first couple of weeks are great. That first month or two may be great. But if you don't establish routine into your weekly schedule in that first six, 12 months, then all of a sudden you can kind of start to lose that sense of purpose. And, you know, most of the people that we work with in our office, they absolutely thrive in retirement. But we do occasionally see people, uh, and I saw this in my own father, that the retirement was really the start of a period of decline because of that lack of sense of purpose and the mental and the being physically active. So doing some part-time work, consulting, if you don't need to financially, you know, uh, then involving yourself in charity work or things that you're passionate about. But staying active and the potential financial implications in those early years of retirement can be very, very critical.
0: That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com.
1: To check us out online, BroganFinancial.com, you can you, you can check all of our podcasts. Um, they're all there, the dollars and cents segments and the radio shows. We've also got a blog page that we post to every week. Now, my next class uh, is at Pelissippi State Community College through their adult education. It is March the 2nd and 9th. So coming up here in a few weeks, it's two successive Thursdays at their Hardin Valley location. Thrive financially in retirement. To find out more information, to download a syllabus, you can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. dot uh, com. And then, if you want to see my remaining spring calendar, I'm doing a tax planning class. A one-night shot just on tax planning at Pellissippi, Hardin Valley in April. I'll be over at the University of Tennessee on an income planning specific one-night class. But to get our full schedule, you can go to BroganFinancial.com and click on Classes. Today, we're talking about the incredible, critical importance of food and nutrition in our lives, and we're visiting with Emily Holloway. She is a registered diet, dietitian nutritionist. She's also a doctoral student in the Department of Nutrition over at the University of Tennessee. Um, if we want to make changes to our diet, Emily, what's the simplest thing we can do?
2: I would say start small. So, you know, a lot of times people, when they decide that they want to make changes, they think that they have to change everything at one time. I'm going to make a complete switch. I'm going to go from not eating, or I'm going to go from eating maybe these not great options to only eating fruits and vegetables and cutting all these different food groups out. Okay, should we? <laughs> that?
1: Didi and I <laughs> both pointed at ourselves. Yes. I pointed at myself. She pointed at herself. It's,
2: it's yes. a lot of people. I think that, you know. We're all or yeah, nothing. Exactly. It's really bad. So, yeah, I got to work I, on that. I think that the biggest thing I could say is to start small. Um, pick something. So, if you don't, you know, here's a good I guess I'll use an example for myself is that, you know, when I started school, physical activity kind of went to the wayside. I was like, I don't have time for it. I just am too busy as a student. I just it's the one thing I'm going to let go. Well, I slowly started being like, okay, I need to get back into it. So setting realistic goals. So something I know in the healthcare field, we talk a lot about smart goals. So those that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So versus saying, I am going to work out seven days a week. Well, was that realistic? Probably not. So starting small, I'm going to work out three days a week for 30 minutes. So trying to pick something that you can reach, that you're going to feel successful when you reach that goal, and then move forward. So once you hit, hit that goal, add another goal, um, versus trying to you know make a complete switch all at one time.
1: You know, we were talking off air, and, and one thing I thought about there was these fad diets. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, some people might would say something. Some of them are not fads; they're yeah. lifestyles. Things something like intermittent fasting. Yeah. But it does seem like a lot of the things that are out there, it's so restrictive. Yeah, You know, and, and you might get great results fast, but then is it going to last?
2: Exactly. You know, that's, we see that a lot with um, certain diets like the keto diet, for example, is the one that flashes out to me. Um, you know, the keto diet was initially used for children with epilepsy. So that's what the intended purpose of that diet was for. And over time, it has been adapted as this, you know, great for weight loss. And as you said, it works really great in the short term. People see great results, but... You know, the results 12 months down the line are usually not very great. So people, you can't sustain, um, you know, eating that few carbs. So when we talk about, um, you know, how important carbs are at the beginning, we talked about how they're really, you know, it's our body's preferred source of energy. So when you don't give your body that energy, you know, you can really feel it.
1: When we look at other areas in the world, I'm always intrigued. You know, Asia, those diets are, they're so heavy with rice. Yeah which is, of course, a starchy, you know, could have a high glycemic response, but there doesn't seem to be overweight issues in Asia. Um, you look at the Mediterranean style, there's very heavy in oils, yeah. especially olive. Yeah. Um, very rich, and yet people seem to be healthy. Uh, where are we missing it? it? Is and, that because and, it's
3: more satiating because it's uh, like the olive oil you know your fats can be more satiating yeah um so we eat less but why is
1: it we see, do we see we see things in some parts of the world they're doing different things entirely yeah. and yet the, the 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 populations much healthier and they processing and then of here we're so is unhealthy different. is it the processing yeah. is that the
2: you know, it's hard to pinpoint what it is entirely. I would say the biggest thing that I've seen is the portion size. So if you see the portions that, you know, a lot of Americans consume, we go out to eat, they sit down this, you know, in a restaurant, they sit down on a plate of pasta in front of you and it's enough for probably two to three portions. If you actually, you know, weighed the food out and saw how much they're actually giving you, well, we sit down and eat three fourths to all of it possibly. So I think portion size is probably the biggest difference.
1: yeah you know we started uh td and i in the last month have started splitting most of our meals when we go out that's a really and then last night i ordered in
3: we are doing a, some things. I, I love what you said about pick something that is attainable, the smart goals and so yeah. forth, and pick one thing or two things to focus on. So we've tried to increase water. Yeah, and and we're big water drinkers. Yeah. But um, in addition to water, like I used to be addicted. You were terrible with diet coke. I used yeah, to but that be was fifteen,
1: 15 years ago. I, I know, got off of that coke.
3: Like now it's coffee. <laughs> so we're trying to like I do one cup a day. Yeah. Um. So we're trying to make those small habits yeah. so that they don't feel like so many at one time that we can't stick with something. But, you know, in addition to that, I mean, when you go, when we go to Europe, Jim, you know, they give us like, no, these little baby waters. Like we're not used to that. Yeah. We're used to filling yeah. up more. And, um, it's, I don't know. Lifestyle in America is definitely mm-hmm. different in other countries. And, I'm sure that we can learn many things from those countries yeah. because they have uh, sometimes much healthier. But I, for me, the biggest thing is lack of planning. And for me, the thing is that the fact you said there was like a swamp yeah. of, I mean, oh you can goodness. drive down Kingston Pike and you can go to any fast food that you want possible. Within, right? Yeah, within like three miles. I mean, I, I mean, can <laughs> go to three for three different it's people cheap in the car. Yeah. yeah. And it's it such bad habits. I think I calculated one time I had a Big Mac. Like literally every day for like 10 years, like terrible, terrible. Like yeah. I was a big Mac addict. I'm a recovering big Mac addict. I love them. <laughs> yeah. I love them even today. I give myself one every year on October 15th and there that's get. it because I love them.
2: And that's, you know, that brings up a good point about, you know, if there is something that you love, you know, you don't feel like you have to completely get rid of it. Like, that's not the point of eating. We want to have joy around the foods we like. It's about finding that balance. You know, should you eat it every day? Probably not. But finding a way to make it fit, you still get enjoyment out of it while also maintaining that
1: balance. Mm -hmm. We're visiting with Emily Holloway this morning. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist and also a doctoral student at the University of New... uh, of Tennessee in the Department of Nutrition. When we come back, I have two things I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about food insecurity yeah. and costs, and then I want to talk about alcohol. Sounds good. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk seven WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: We're discussing food and nutrition here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. You're listening to More Living, and we have Emily Holloway, who is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and doctoral student at the University of Tennessee. Emily, let's talk about alcohol.
2: All right.
1: They say there's benefits to a little, yeah. not a lot. What is your advice today for people and how they balance alcohol, wine, yeah. beer, and liquor?
3: Yeah. So, um, and that a song?
1: <laughs> it sounds like country music uh, song. For you sure. better
3: pull that song up today. <laughs> that was funny. Um. So. Alcohol you know,
2: another one of those things people enjoy. It's a social aspect. It's, you know, most people are probably going to have a glass of wine or a beer. I think, again, we go back to moderation. Um, so the Mediterranean diet we've kind of touched on is that um, uh, diet pattern that's common in Greece and Italy and those countries that border the Mediterranean Sea. And they actually encourage red wine in moderation so you'll go to those countries and that's going to be a staple for them um you know i think that as we talk about food and you know all aspects of eating comes back to that main point we've been discussing is how can this fit in moderation without being overdone
1: is alcohol a little bit alcohol every day um is is that we shouldn't do that
2: You know, I wouldn't say it
1: back to the moderation.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say shouldn't. I mean, I want to say that for men, it's um, one to two glasses or beers or, you know, drinks a day. And then women, I think it's around one, Um, you know, having more than that on a daily basis probably wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend (laughs) one. um, They still have calories in them. So if you are trying to lose weight, alcohol counts. In fact, um, it's usually a big portion for people that have more than, you know, one or two drinks
3: a day. um, It's going to add up very quickly. You know, Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser used to say, don't drink your calories.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, you know, historically, I've never drunk my calories, yeah. um, especially over the last 15 years until the pandemic hit. Yeah. My alcohol consumption yeah. has gone up a little bit and is causing issues with trying to lose weight.
3: Yeah. I think you um, add ice cubes just to water it down a little bit. So it's... <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Oh, all right. Um. So... Let's, let's shift a little bit. Okay. Some of the issues that women specifically pay, face when it comes to poverty and being the primary caregiver to children. So talk about how poverty impacts nutrition and food insecurity yeah. for women Yeah, and I mean, children.
2: You know, we look at food insecurity, and I will make um, a distinction really quickly. So yeah, tell been, us, what
1: is your definition of food insecurity?
2: Yeah, there's been, you know, recently this Distinction between food insecurity and nutrition insecurity. So you can be food insecure, meaning that you do not have access to enough food, um, you know, for yourself or your family. And we talk about the flip side of nutrition insecurity. So you may be able to afford food for your family, but maybe you're choosing foods that are, you know, processed or those less healthy foods that we tend to think of. So those people might be. Food secure, and then they can purchase those processed foods, but they can't afford some of these healthier foods. So those people might be nutrition insecure. So I think it's important to kind of think about that distinction um, as far as when we, you know, talk about food insecurity. But when you um, break down the numbers, I actually pulled a statistic: the most recent food insecurity statistics, ten point two percent of people are food insecure. So when you think about that number, you know, my first thought was like, wow. Not as high as I kind of thought it would be, especially with covid. And we know that the implications that that had Um, in the state of Tennessee, specifically 14 percent of people are food insecure um, and one in six children face food insecurity. So that, to me, like, kind of gives me chills. You think about, um, you know, we want our children to be successful. We want them to strive in school. For that population, it's really hard. If you think about going to school with not enough to eat, how are you supposed to focus, behave, learn in school when you don't even have enough food to eat? Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Well, when you mentioned the nutrition insecure, that's very fascinating to me. Um, You know, with inflation taking root the way it has... Lots of those healthier food options are even more expensive. So if someone has to choose just a few ways to incorporate healthier options into their diet, what would you suggest?
2: Um, I would say, you know, I think that when we talk about fruits and vegetables, because we know that those are super healthy and they're super important to have in our diet, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables can be pretty expensive at times and you you know, maybe they aren't that expensive, but they go bad really fast. So you might not be able to use them in time. I think that at times people get a bad rep around frozen or canned options I think that those are a really great alternative for people to consider and not be scared of choosing those options Um, now when we choose canned um, we'll say canned vegetables for example um, choosing low sodium options whenever possible or no added salt um, if those aren't available to you rinsing those vegetables when you get them home before you use them helps to kind of get rid of some of that extra salt
3: I didn't know that yeah
2: so I usually anytime I make a soup because it's so much easier to just use canned um if i can't find a low sodium i'll just rinse it with some water and then dump it in so so it's
3: sodium for pre- preservatives is that yeah what they've done yep exactly
2: oh. so in the i love process. the
3: frozen because yeah. it's so fast and it's not
1: i've finally gotten yeah. her i like to get oh, it golly. i like to get really good quality meat yeah.
3: don't tell all our seats and i've
1: <laughs> finally gotten her allow me to freeze meat oh. yeah because it, 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 it keeps really, I mean, keeps- I didn't
3: grow up eating a lot of meat. We yeah. didn't. We lived on a farm and everything we had, we butchered and it was very rationed. And so um, when it was very intentional to, like if we had meat, it was Friday, it was usually Saturday night. We called it a shack night. And yeah. if we had a, a lovely, we might have hamburgers or steak or something, but it was, so everything was fresh. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's doing the freezing of the meat always has scared me because yeah. of freezer burn. And so I'm finally. Through the pandemic, yeah, I'm good. Yeah,
1: I hate this, Emily. We're about out of time. I've only got about 40 seconds. Can okay. you give us three tips every, yeah. for everyone when it comes to making healthy eating a permanent habit?
2: Yeah. Um, again, start small. You know, small lifestyle changes for sustainable results. Um, choosing things in moderation, not being too restrictive. I think that all of those things, knowing that all foods can fit into a balanced diet, it's about how you put them all together. Water. Yes, drink your water. Absolutely.
1: Eat glasses or (laughs) 10 or 12?
2: I mean, at least eight. At least eight. Okay. (laughs) More if you can.
1: That's Emily Holloway. Emily, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, she's a registered dietitian nutritionist. Is that the right? That's kind of a mouthful. It is. (laughs) I have a hard time saying it. And she's a doctoral student at the University of Tennessee. It's been great to have her on as food is such a major part of our lives. Uh, But as Americans, uh, we're becoming more unhealthy. Uh, So today we've discussed your nutrition because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Next week I'll have Dr. Jeff Johnson on. We're going to talk about heart health. It is heart health month and about cardiovascular disease and all those things. So still staying on that health train. Thank you, Riley, for engineering the show. Thank you, Jill, for helping produce the show. Thank you, DeeDee, for helping me co-host this morning.
3: Absolutely. This was great.
1: Have a great weekend. Go Vols. Beat Auburn. Yes. You're